Our scripture for today is Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning. Um, Man, thanks to Kevin for preaching with 24 hours notice last week. Um, We were able to care for Jace uh, Ball and uh, little Isaiah. Sounds like he's doing well in NICU right now. And I think there'll be opportunities for us to love on the Ball family as they're uh, you know, imagine your newborn that you haven't been able to hold yet is in NICU for, for many weeks uh, to come, and they're living back in Collins and stuff. So uh, be on the lookout, too, if you aren't on happenings for ways to love on them. And, and this is part of our community groups, too. The, the hope is that this is also, like, where we most care for each other and we're most known by each other and, and kind of like a, our own little, little groups uh, that go around, like when something like derecho hits or something, uh, the first kind of responding of the church goes through our groups and, hey, can we check on everybody, make sure everybody's okay and, and ways that we care and stuff. Like a, a dangerous thing is to be a part of a church and to, to not know or be known. And, um, and just the way that like Jody is when you say like, hey, let's go, go deep with each other in the areas that we really need the Lord to take us to a deep place of healing, um, that the hope is that that's where, where all of that happens in our groups. And uh, Patty and I have been in groups for about, about 17 years now since we've been married. And there, I don't think there's ever been a convenient time for us to be in a group, you know, when it was like, okay, okay I'm in graduate school, we're newlyweds. Um, maybe after graduate school, it'll be an easier time to be in groups. So then we have young kids and it's like, maybe, maybe once our kids aren't so young, it'll be an easier time. Or, or, um, Patty's been really open with her, uh, chronic pain that she's wrestled with for, for a long time. And it's like, well, I'm not feeling hundred percent tonight. You know, let's wait till we both feel hundred percent or, you know, all this stuff. And it makes me think of that. I don't know if you've seen the illustration of like having a jar and then you have all these rocks. And some rocks are big, some rocks are medium, some are small, and then you have like all the sand. And it's a, it's a cool illustration that like, if you put all the sand in first, the smaller rocks, the medium-sized rocks, you'll actually never be able to fit the big rocks in. But if you put the big rocks in first, uh, then you put the next biggest and you kind of jiggle it around. <laughs> and then you put the next size and you jiggle it around. And then you pour the sand in and you jiggle it. You can actually fit everything in there uh, compared to, and kind of the illustration usually is like you put the big rocks in first, which are your biggest priorities in life. Uh, then it helps you fit in lesser priorities. And uh, then sometimes you realize like, well, these smaller rocks are just not going to make it in, but at least I got the big ones in. And... Um, and I think for like Patty and I would testify and the importance of me being like Patty and I aren't leading a group this year, but we are signed up in a group because we are like, uh, you know, like I want to be helping to lead the group leaders and I need to be in a group and I need to be known and I, I need to, to, to do life with other people. And we consider that a big rock. So before we schedule anything else, 
that's a big rock that goes in our jar because we're wanting to make that commitment from day one. Like we're too busy to not have that in our lives. Like we need that to actually form us. So um, one of the things talking about community made me think of the, I think I like it at times. And then at other times I wish someone would just hit delete, which is the Collins Community Facebook page. And probably every community has a Facebook page, which I consider to be the page of shame. Um, we kind of have like a, um, I, I think rural areas have more of an honor shame culture. So like when I was in high school and I thought it was super cool to see how fast my car would go, I would typically be in trouble before I even got home because word would have gotten to my parents before I got home about my, I thought if I had a CB and a friend that went before me, I was fine, you know, but I didn't realize that they could call my parents, you know. And in some ways, I was shamed into compliance. You know, it's like if I make a mistake, I will be shamed until I stop making a mistake. And social media has allowed this to be amazing. You know, if you're dog accidentally runs out of the house and you don't realize your dog is gone. This is purely theoretical, you know, but uh, it might be blow, you know, someone might be texting you like it's blowing up on social media that you are the worst dog owner that's ever existed on planet earth. And you're like, oh, I thought they were in the house, you know, but, but shaming is like a national pastime, it seems like, through, and it can be through social media. And a reality is that what that tries to make us do is to live a life where we never make a mistake. Like, if I make a mistake, I will be shamed by my community, and they will try to get me to basically never do that again. And what you can do is you either withdraw from community, you take a step back and say, well, I'm not gonna let anybody in to let them know whether or not I'm making a mistake, or you can become an actor in your life. And you can start presenting a life that cannot be shamed because you're presenting a, you're acting on the stage of your social media accounts or whatever they may be. And in this gentle and lowly series, the Lord has taken us right there, I think, is like, okay, which way is up? How do I live in the, in the midst of all of this, and what if I can't be perfect? What if I can't live a life that is free from, from mistakes? So Hebrews 4 is where we're going to be. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 14. Um, uh, I don't know if we have any Bibles set out, but uh, you'll have, we'll have screens or the verses on the screen, you can pull up your phone as well. The Hebrews 4 will be in ESV, the English Standard Version, if you have the option for which translation we're going to be in. Hebrews 4, starting verse 14, says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession." great high priest, verse 14. So before we get into like, what's Jesus' heart towards us when we suffer, when we make a mistake? What's Jesus' heart towards us? 
the word priest has been sent out. So it's like, how do we, what's going on here? So before Jesus came, before what we read of in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, God gave us a way to draw near to him. And we're even told in the Old Testament, this will be temporary. I'm going to set up a way for people to meet with me so it doesn't have to get blasted on social media. I'm going to I'm gonna set up a way for them to actually come to me, and it's going to be temporary. And what it is is you're going to go to the temple in Jerusalem, and there will be a priest in the temple. And the priest will be, they use the word, um, a mediator. You know, we have mediation now through divorce courts and stuff. Do I need to make an adjustment here? All right, so in the Old Testament, the sacrificial system was set up where you could go to a priest in the temple, and this is how you could repent of your sin. It was how you could receive forgiveness. It's how you could receive the grace of God. And all of this would be until the promised one's arrival, the arrival of the promised one. And they would be a mediator between you, your weakness, your sin. And then you'd meet God's grace there, God's forgiveness, God's presence. The priests, which we hear all about this in the book of Hebrews and elsewhere, the priests were not perfect. The priests themselves needed a priest. <laughs> they themselves needed a mediator. And they, they were, were not able to be awake all the time. They, they were very limited people. They would get sick. They would die. So there needed to be a continual priesthood. There needed to be priests and priests and priests who were mediating God's grace to each other and then were able to, to, uh, to really like be the bridge between God's grace and, and their need of God's grace. And it would be this way until the great high priest would come and would, would be the all-time priest forever. And it says here that we have this great high priest. We even know his name. His name is Jesus. He has, look at verse 14 who has passed through the heavens. You know, it made me think of like Captain Marvel or, you know, when you just see those scenes of them like just going like through the universe and like Jesus has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession of him confessing these realities about him, that he's our savior. He's the one we've been waiting for, that we each have this God-sized hole in our soul that can't be met just by being an actor and saying it's not there, or it can't be met by just be trying to not, not mess up, but instead of saying, like, I need that great high priest, and I'm holding fast to my confession that Jesus is him, and he is filling all, all that the world tries to offer and say, this is what will fulfill you. And if you go down that road, you're like, 
that was a lie. This does not fulfill me. And we hold fast the confession that he is the one that we've been waiting for. He is the one that we're made, that, that we're made to hold on to and that we're made to be held on to by him. Why? Why is he such a perfect priest? Why is he such a perfect high priest for, for us? Look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So when I just like tell you, like, picture a priest in your mind. Just picture a priest. Some of you might be like, never met one. I, I can't picture anybody. Uh, you might actually think of someone who's really aloof, just a, an a, aloof person, um, someone who like feels like they're just really distant from you, maybe like holier than thou. Um, I grew up in a Roman Catholic church with a priest, and uh, like they used that terminology and was a really loving person, you know, and we all have different backgrounds, different experiences. Um, unfortunately, when some people think of priests, they think of a scandal, they think of abuse, which has unfortunately um, been too true in our culture of, of, of recently. Um, but I, I think that there's a chance when you think of priests, you just, you don't think of a best friend. You don't think of someone who is like the closest person that you know in your life. So to think of a great priest, you might think of someone who's even further away, someone who is more aloof um, than where you're at and what you actually need in your life. So would you let, just as when we talked on Father's Day about for some of us, our father, our earthly father, is like a photo negative of the true father. It's like when you look at like those old like photo negatives before all the digital stuff, you're like, that, that's orange. It's, there's like no color in there or whatever. But then the opposite of that is this amazing, colorful photo. And for, for that's how a lot of us experience an earthly dad is he's the photo negative of like a true father. And what we realize here is like, like potentially some of our ideas of a priest in 21st century America is a photo negative of the great high priest. And look, look again at verse 15 and let this really form us and maybe be the most amazing thing you've heard in a long time. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. I think it can be easy for us to think that like Jesus is around in the good times. Like, man, when I'm doing good, Jesus is around. When I'm not doing good, when I'm suffering, when I feel numb to life, when I'm disillusioned, when I'm experiencing pain, 
when I'm longing for more, when I'm embarrassed, when I've gone all into the things of the world and found them wanting, when when I really need to heal and I know it, that somehow I think we think like Jesus is waiting for us to get our act together. Waiting us to be like, hey, could you get with it here? Could you get your act together and then rejoin me? And verse 15 is telling us thinking that way is a lie. Thinking that way is wrong. He says he sympathizes with us. Now remember, this all of Scripture in the New Testament is written in Greek. And so the Greek word that Jesus says here, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So we, we have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. That word sympathize is two Greek words put together. And the first word is, uh, you see it in sum, and that is the word with. And then uh, pathesi carries the sense of suffer. So when he sympathizes with us, we could read he suffers with us. He suffers with us as a high priest. Um, you could think of a nurturer here. I don't know why I do this, but when my kids get hurt, like if they come in the house and I can tell they've been hurt, I don't know why I do this, but the first thing I always say is, it's okay. I don't even know it's okay, but I just feel like it's probably okay. I'm, I'm like trying to bring them down. Hey, it's fine. It's okay. It's okay. Okay, what happened? You know, like that's the way I approach it. Patty feels their pain. Like she truly does. Like I'm like, I'm like, hey, rub some dirt on it. And she's like, oh, I feel this with you, you know? And she is suffering with them. I don't, I, I'm not that way. Jesus is that way. <laughs> like, this is how he is talking with us, is like, he is not aloof waiting for us to get our act together. He is saying, I want you to know how I am. And how I am is I suffer with you. I sympathize with your weakness. Now, the word weakness is a robust word. It's used many places in the New Testament. One of the places it's used is, is in, or one way it's used throughout the New Testament is to talk about actual physically, like, illness, debilitating disease, debilitating situations. So Jesus is saying, I'm suffering with you when you are suffering in this illness is one way. Another way that talks about it, the word weakness is just when we don't have the power that we wish we did. So that could be at work, that could be with relationships, that, that could be in financially. Like there could be a lot of ways where it's like, I wish I had more power here. I wish I had more influence here. I am weak. And Jesus is with us in that weakness. And then a third way that it's used is in confidence. And uh, we talk about this uh, a lot in our 
family around sports and stuff like that. You, it feels like sports for many people is like a way to build confidence. You know, you see like how it, how it works when you don't have any confidence and how it works when you do have confidence. And you see it's like, man, you could make the shot all day at home, but in the middle of the game, for some reason, you're not making that shot. You know, there's a disconnect there between the way you are here and the way you are here. And, and you could call that weakness, like from this word. And Jesus is like, I'm with you there in your lack of power, in your limitations, in your disease. When, when you have a lack of health, a lack of power, a lack of confidence, I'm with you. And I think in our culture, what we typically do with weakness is we repent. We repent of our weakness in our culture. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so weak. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to try better next time. Please forgive me uh, for, for that mistake. Please don't post that on Facebook. Like, please forgive me. And it's not biblical to be that way. It's not biblical to repent of weakness. What's biblical is to repent of sin. Sin are actions against the will and desire of God. It can be inaction. Sin is action or inaction against the will of God. And we are called throughout scripture to repent. So it's like sin is not this thing. If sin was a thing, if it was just like this black matter somewhere, we could just like declare war on sin, round it up and get rid of it. And it's like done. But sin are actions that flow through our lives when we're acting away from God's will. And so what repentance is, is stopping and saying, I repent of this. I do not want to be this way. I want to go this way and do God's will in this relationship or God's will in this part of my life. I repent of that sin. So we repent of sin. We don't repent of weakness. So what are we supposed to do in our weakness? We're actually supposed to boast in our weakness. Talk about turning the world upside down, huh? Or I think Jesus actually turns the world right side up. So we're supposed to boast in our weakness. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Uh, Paul is asking Jesus, uh, asking God if he would remove the physical pain that has been a consistent part of his life and asking God to remove his chronic pain. God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It's in our weakness that we see his power. If we think that we're the king of the mountain, we're not going to be on our knees begging the Lord for the power to do what he calls us to do. We're going to be like, I got this. Go check on somebody else. And we're going to try to live our lives apart from him. But in our weakness, boasting even in our weaknesses, we're proclaiming that weak bodies will not always be that way. Weak bodies show our need for his strength. Weak souls 
put our hands out for his strength, for him to be the strong savior in our lives. Boasting in our weakness is recognizing that his words to us are true. Like I, I was in a, 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 a cohort group where we travel around the country and met with uh, seasoned pastors before we were all getting ready to plant churches. And I spent a lot of time with a guy who planted a church in the Cape Cod area, close to the Boston area. Really neat guy. And one of the things that the Lord was doing in his life was ripping control out of his life. And you could just tell that the Lord was like, if you have a death grip on this church, you're going to try and control this thing. You're going to try and manipulate it so that it looks exactly the way that you think it should look. And it just became clear that, like, the Lord was wanting to grow him in this area. So one of the fascinating things that, that this guy who had been, it was in his 60s, had been a mentor of us, uh, he got my friend to stand up, like, on a chair with everybody around and scream. Like, he was like, pretend that the church that God has allowed you to, to start is allowing you to be the pastor at Pretend that like someone has just yelled fire. You don't know if anything's true. Everybody is just in chaos. You're ready to lead them. And like, what are you going to do? And he's like, well, I don't know what to do. And it's like, well, um, so I'm not doing a great job telling the story. But he had this guy stand on this chair and yell. And this guy was not a yeller. Yell, I don't know what to do. I have no idea what to do. Like, just yell that. And when he yelled that, it was so interesting. All of us in the room, like, started crying. And I'm not a crier. And we all just started. And I was like, dude, I'll follow you anywhere, man. Like, if you tell me you don't know what to do and you're following Jesus, we're good. <laughs> if you pretend you know what you're doing and we're trying to follow Jesus too, th th there's going to be some conflict here because who's going to be the head of this thing? You know, but when he like genuinely believed, I have no idea what to do. Um, people are like, okay, we're watching you. Like we're, we're ready. He wasn't having to repent of his not knowing what to do. He was able to boast. No one here knows what to do. Maybe we should ask him what we should do here. Second part of Hebrews 4.15 shares how he so easily resonates with us in our weakness. Look at this. I'll start at the beginning again. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I'm so grateful for that yet without sin. Like Jesus doesn't have this scandal that's hidden, that's getting ready to come out. And unfortunately, there's been way too much of that in our, uh, even in Christian leadership worldwide recently. Like Jesus is not that leader. He truly was without sin. Now you might say, well, if he was out without sin, maybe he actually doesn't understand what I'm going through. Maybe he doesn't get the challenges that I face because he was without sin. And uh, theologians for, for centuries now have been saying, no, 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 that's not true. Um, so imagine all of us 
let's say there's going to be a, a big weather change, and let's say that we just have like gale force winds for a long time. All of us might be like, and let's say we just like, we have to just walk against the wind. So we have to walk against these gale force winds. Eventually, we're each going to get tired and turn around and just go with the wind. And now we will have personal experience of what that was like to go against the gale force winds. We'll, we'll be able to testify about how hard that was and how we, we acquired knowledge about going against gale force winds. Now imagine if there was somebody who walked that way for 33 years and never turned around once. Would they have a better knowledge of what it means to go against a gale force wind or would they have a lesser? They would have a much deeper knowledge of that gale force wind because for 33 years they never once turned around. They never once gave into it. And this is how Jesus is with sin. He doesn't know sin less than us because he never gave into it. He knows sin so much more robustly than we do because he's never gone against it. He knows the contours of it way more powerfully than we even do because we relented at all sorts of various places. And so that is why he can, he can sympathize with us in every respect he has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, without ever giving into it. When we come to him, we don't find him saying, how could you be so weak? How? I'm so disappointed in you. Like, he's not that. We don't find him accusing us. We don't find him heaping shame on us. We don't find him condemning us. We find him saying, I understand. I understand what it's like to be weak. I understand your limitations. I understand your challenges. I get it. I know. I can sympathize with you. I can suffer with you here. Thankfully, we're told he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. If we resist him for a lifetime, there are serious consequences. And he's saying... Look what he's saying. How do we respond to this? How do we respond to being this way? Look at verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is real. This is his heart. Is he saying, when you feel weak, Come confidently to me. Usually when you feel weak, the last thing you have is confidence, you know. But this is the boasting. It's like, I am confident I am weak right now. And because of that, I can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Confident that my weakness will be met with his power. Confident in his heart that we can bring everything, our past, our present, fears, concerns for the future, we can bring it all to the throne of grace. I love that that's its name. 
that where God sits is the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. And would, would each of us go there? And as, as we wrap up the series, as we, we wrap up going through this verse, what we should do is just written clearly. I mean, these are our instructions for this week. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. If you have yet put your life in Jesus' hands, if you've yet give your life to Jesus, this could be you coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I'm giving my life to you today. I trust my life into your hands. From now on, you're my savior. I'm yours. I confidently boast of my weakness. I want to repent of my sin. I draw near to your throne of grace. Save me today. I'm yours. And man, if that prayer is true of where you're at, I mean, that he says yes. He's promised us the yes is on the table, a prayer like that. It could be those of us who have given our lives to Jesus already, walking with him. It could be us saying, Jesus, I've been trying to control this. I've been ignoring my sin, and I've been repenting of my weakness. I draw near to you today, repenting of my sin. Would your power open my eyes to renounce my sin? Turn from it. I want to boast of my weakness. I'm weak and you are strong. I need someone who is with me in this. Thank you that you sympathize with me. Thank you that you understand. I come to your throne of grace. I come to find mercy and your grace to help me in my time of need. Thank you for your grace and strength. 